Hello and welcome to Should I Stay or Should I Go? The podcast providing you with expert career insight and advice from senior people in the fields of insurance and risk management to help you make the right career decisions. Hosted by founder and managing partner of Key Strategies LLC, Mike Tenenbaum. Featuring interviews with those at the top of their game, each podcast explores topical issues coupled with specialist guidance on making your next move in the corporate risk management, insurance brokerage, and the insurance carrier sectors. A seasoned recruiter, Mike Tenenbaum has over 30 years of experience in sourcing top insurance and risk management talent for world-class Fortune 500 companies throughout the US. This experience makes your host the perfect person to kickstart the conversations that will give you the wisdom you need to decide. Should I stay or should I go? Before we begin with today's segment, I'd like to introduce our new sponsor. Hi, this is Patrick O'Neill, founder of Red Hand Advisors, a risk management technology consulting and advisory firm. We help Fortune 1000 clients understand their risk technology needs and then identify and optimize the best solutions. Recently, a client asked us to help them replace their current risk management information system. This is a very common request. During our initial analysis, we discovered that while their current system was not meeting their needs, it wasn't for a lack of capabilities. We learned that during the implementation, lower priority items were deferred until after the implementation and never revisited. Additionally, and a more common issue we see, is that their priorities had changed over time, but the system had not changed to meet these new priorities. And finally, we identified new features of the system that were not currently being utilized. I'm here this afternoon with Jennifer Santiago, who is AVP and Chief Risk Officer of Penn State. Jennifer, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited. Yes, I'm excited as well. You're uh, you're helping me try out this new platform today. I normally use a website portal for my podcast interviews. Because of COVID, we can't do this in person, face-to-face, so we're going to do it face-to-face, but via Zoom. So we're actually looking at each other while we're recording the audio, and with any luck, it'll all come out great. And we don't have to wear masks. So. Exactly. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. So Jennifer, you're a, a chief risk officer today, but obviously you didn't start out that way. So I'm just kind of curious how you got your start in the business. Yeah, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, with so many programs today where students are, you know, majoring in risk management and will come out with at least the, the book knowledge and hopefully some of the practical experience through internships. Not much of that existed when I got my start. I came out of my undergraduate looking to go to, to law school and had a history undergraduate, was always interested in, in the law and civics and political science and, and those, those things. And, you know, debt from undergrad prompted me not to go to law school right away and to, you know, the need to get a job. My mom actually uh, worked in, in the medical field. And so my whole upbringing was medical terminology and things. And so I ended up getting a job briefly with a medical malpractice insurance company. And then that really is what seg- segued into um, NYU Medical Center. So I sort of, that's really my, my first job in, in the industry. I came in and, you know, back then it was really insurance, right? Not, not, you know, the word risk management was part of it, but a lot of it was, you know, how do we transfer risk so that we don't have to worry about it? And over time, we've realized that, you know, that model has its value for sure. But it's not the only uh, not the only solution in the toolkit uh, of the risk manager's uh, toolbox. 
And so, um, you know, so insurance to loss control, to mitigation and to enterprise risk management today. And so, you know, that I've sort of moved my career in that continuum, which has kept it interesting. 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 So you had um, kind of a, a predisposition to get into the medical field, but not quite at the medical level. That's correct. Yes. Uh, I mean, I, I don't I don't have the stomach for much more than uh, the terminology of it and uh, diagnosing myself and my family. But other than yes. that, yes. I didn't have an interest, didn't have aspirations for medical school, but did, you know, certainly at NYU, you know, the, the litigation and things like that were really interesting to me. So, you know, defending doctors and, and, you know, based on good medicine was important and always that bringing the risk management skills, you know, how do we prevent things from happening? How do we prevent things from going, you know, going bad and how do we make sure that things go well? Kind of two sides of it for many people in risk management, when you, when you talk to them, they'll tell you, you know, that the why is something that's always really, really important to them. They're always looking to understand why something happens. Why did that, why did that go wrong? And those learnings are what gets applied to, you know, kind of how they, how they make decisions. It's all about making decisions in a risk, risk-based way, right? Risk-adjusted way. Yeah, I guess in the medical field, it's all about risk. It certainly is. And um, and you were at NYU, so you were at on the healthcare side, not the university side. Correct. Yes. Yes. Uh, on, on, on the hospital side, reported into the CFO, and you know came in you know entry level, and just really had to prove myself, had the passion and the energy to keep keep growing and keep learning. And within a few years, I was moved up to the director role. So that was really exciting to lead the team and uh, set the strategy and help the hospital manage its risk in the best way possible. And I was there through 9-11. You know, anyone who, who uh, experienced that really um, learned a lot. It certainly turned life on its head quite a bit. I think those, those, those skills really take you, you know, kind of take you forward and so applicable to today, really. Crisis management is really, really a critical, critical component of the risk management's job. Yeah, I guess you can really sympathize with what it must be like to be at NYU today dealing with the pandemic versus 9-11. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that, uh, I, I know, you know, so Penn State University also has a health system. So I have my hand in that as well. I oversee the, you know, the risk management uh, components for the health system as well. And so, you know, dealing with surge of COVID patients and making sure you have adequate PPE staff. And now with vaccine rollout, you know, to make sure that, you know, that you can get as much vaccine as possible so that you can operate and, and take care of people, which is part of the mission. So, yeah, absolutely. I can imagine you getting to uh, relive all that again. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it's, it's a site that's, uh, that's all too familiar, I suppose. It is. And, it is. Uh, and I'm sure just like back then, you're looking forward to getting past this. Yeah, I don't think we'll be past it for quite some time, unfortunately. And, you know, the university exposures are so diverse and unique and really, really interesting. So that's, you know, that's, I think, you know, for me, from a career standpoint, I like learning the business model, you know, what do we, what do we do? How do we do it? You know, and understanding the mission and the values of the organization. And, you know, Penn Penn State is, you know, educates 100,000 students 
but also, you know, operates, you know, childcare centers and camps and, um, you know, has such a, has hotels and such a diverse portfolio of risk that, you know, makes it very interesting. When you think about it from the, from the standpoint of managing through the pandemic, you know, you've got so many different constituencies to worry about, so many different business segments to worry about. I can only imagine how, you know, you must be, you know, all hands on deck all the time, 24 seven, trying to, trying to deal with that. Yes. You know, I think so as soon as the crisis, so for, you know, for uh, many organizations that had operations overseas, the virus took hold in other parts of the world. So the, the U S came later. And so if you have operations, many of those countries that got hit early, Italy, South Korea. And so we had students all over all over the world and the CDC was changing those country levels to crisis mode and the countries were shutting down and so mm-hmm. we had to make decisions about what do we do and how do we bring you know do we bring people back and so to me every risk manager should be out in front on this and you know hopefully getting you know called upon by your senior leadership team to help in decision making and to help with scenario planning you know, we, we've spent a lot of time and, and I think it's become a kind of a core competency uh, is planning for scenarios. You know, what's your, your best case, your worst case and most likely planning for all three because you're really not sure which way it's going to go. So that's some of the skill set, again, that, you know, I think it can really make us pretty valuable to the organization that we work for. If you were worried about being visible before all this, you don't have that problem anymore. That's for sure. Yeah, it makes it makes you want to actually hide under the desk so that <laughs> a little less visibility probably less right visibility, now, right? Yeah, uh, rather than the twenty four seven. But you know, these are the times, right? So I think this is the the call for uh, the call for strong risk management skills is uh, there's nothing nothing like it right now. I'm glad to see so many people choosing the the career and and companies really recognizing starting to recognize the value a little bit more. I'm sure you're seeing that as well, right? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, you know, from my vantage point as a recruiter, there's so many different issues in play that cause uh, some volatility in career. You know, if you took the pandemic out of the equation for a moment, you have a hard market. Oh, boy. And, and you know, <laughs> that that alone causes plenty of stress. Absolutely. And, and there uh, hasn't been a hard market for many, many years. So many have not lived through, right? Right. 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 So, you know, including me. Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, this is new for, for me at the, you know, at this point in my career. Yeah. So, you know, it becomes a real test of your strategic abilities, your communication skills, your ability to form partnerships with your vendors. Influencing partnerships. A- absolutely. We're, you know, I'm in the midst of uh, a number of renewals coming up. And so, you know, we, we're, you know, connecting with, with underwriters, you know, in the, the incumbent, but also all the other markets. One thing that I've tried to always do in my career and continue and tell everyone is, you know, you don't only want to be knocking on their door when times are bad. It's so important to have those relationships that you can call upon and, you know, with, with, with different carriers. I also think, you know, you want to make sure that you, you nurture those relationships. So if you're looking every year to shop and get best price, that will end up backfiring on you when times are tough. You know, we're not, maybe not always choosing the cheapest market, 
we're going to choose the partnership and those that we think will be there for us with the claims. Really sure. claims, yeah. right? So, yeah. Right. I mean, I guess so, right? Because uh, the insurance is only as good as, as, as the claims management and, and, and being able to get paid on those claims. Exactly. Exactly. So, Interesting. So I'm, I'm just curious, since you're going through this process now, dealing with renewals and such, what do you think about in terms of what risk managers can be doing to help make the most of their opportunities at a very, very challenging time in terms of getting better pricing, if, if there is any better pricing? What do risk managers do about that? Yeah, I think it's sort of multi-pronged, multi-layered approach, right? And so I think you have to establish your reputation in the industry and and your credibility and and trust and and that 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 is probably at the core of it. So you know having a strong reputation helps with helps with underwriters, right? So you're bringing that to the table and and all your past experiences. And then you know the other piece of it is just knowing your business, right? So, you, you, you know, you know, if you're in for profit, you're reading your 10 K's, you know what you make, you know how you make it, you know, you know, where um, you have, you know, vulnerabilities, and then you're bringing your skill set. So talking about how you manage risk in your organization, what enterprise risk management is, or whatever you call it, integrated risk management is in your organization. There isn't a one size fits all. And so I think, you know, some will say, oh, you know, you have to be doing it this way or that way. I, I don't agree with that. I think you're bringing to bear what works for your organization. So then it's the relationships, right? So it's talking to the underwriters and being able to say, here's what we're doing. Here's how we manage it. Here's how our leadership values risk management and the, the steps that we take. And there's, a you know, the board's involvement and the board's view on it. All of those things represent I think a better risk, a better exposure. And so those are the things that insurance companies are looking for. That's who they want to, to do business with. Yeah, I, I could totally imagine that, you know, you have your different buckets that you have to cover, all your different bases to, to tell the right story. Yes. You know, so just saying, you know, here's, here's what our exposures are by itself is not going to get you the best pricing. It, absolutely. I think it's it has to have context around it, right? So, you know, we're X number of whatever employees or patients or beds or students or whatever, you know, those are just numbers. But being able to weave together how you handle, you know, your safety program, even the programs you have in place to monitor and manage and mitigate risk, that's really, the, you know, what they're looking for. It's sort of the in-between, right? It's just what's beyond the paper. And so we've gone out, I've gone out with in other organizations where you, you know, you have your PowerPoint presentation, but there's so much dialogue in between about, you know, how we do things and what our values are. And I think that really, really helps build the reputation and, and, and the connection that you need. Yeah, no, I, I would imagine it, it most certainly does. So, you know, switching gears for a moment, I was just thinking about, so you started out on the risk management side but then you flipped to the brokerage side. Yes, you, I did. When you worked for Gallagher yeah. for, a few, for a few years. So what was that like? I started out with the company was called William H. Connolly and Company. They are a regional broker that focused in manufacturing and healthcare. It had a kind of diverse book. And it interested me again, because I like these, I like the business model. I like learning about the organization. And then getting in there and helping them fix their problems. Problem solving is really at the core of what I enjoy doing. 
Yeah. So I thought that's the beauty of the industry, right? Is that you can you can be on the on the corporate sort of risk management side. You've got the broker, all jobs within the brokerage field, and then you've got the carrier side. And then add, add on top of that consultants and all of the other layers. There's really a lot of career opportunity in the in the field. I used to say three legs of the stool, but I feel like it's a lot more now. And so I I thought, okay, let me see what this stool is like, this leg of the stool is like. And I and I liked it. Um, I think where I struggled a little bit is that a lot of it was about selling. And so, you know, I was always, well, you know, hey, you can, we can do this to fix, you know, mitigate that risk. And therefore, you, you don't necessarily have to buy the insurance. And so, you know, as a broker, that might not have been the best selling skills that you needed. But I think what I liked about it was, and especially with a regional, so they were acquired by Arthur J. Gallagher. And I think since then, things have uh, split off. But and a regional, you were handling policies from an insurance standpoint, you were handling, you know, your A to your Z, or maybe W for workers comp, I don't know if there is a Z. And you you had to know all of those different types of insurance programs and the types of risks that went in there and, and how to read a policy. And so it was a really good kind of training ground for anybody who, you know, in the career. I, I think today you'll talk to people and they don't, they've never opened up an insurance policy. And that's, that's a bit tricky because that's where, that's where it all comes down to when you have something really, really bad happen. Yeah. At the end of the day, if you don't read your policy, then you can only hope that the coverage you thought you bought is what you actually bought. Absolutely. More times than not, you know, I mean, the language is complicated. And so it's really, really critical that you understand what you, what you've gotten yourself into. But again, you know, I, I think it's a continuum, right? So insurance is just the, it's that backstop that you hope will be there when you need it, but you've got all that proactive that you should be doing, which is the identification and the assessment and the mitigation of the risk and monitoring around it to make sure that it's being managed. And then, you know, having your insurance and having your, your disaster recovery and your business continuity plans. This is the, that sort of continuum, I think, that risk managers bring to the table. Right, right. So, you know, having both sides of this kind of process now, brokerage and risk management, so now you understand how brokers look at the world. You can help them actually service your accounts better because you understand what, what they have to go through. And brokers, you know, probably can get a better perspective from you because, you know, you know what you need to communicate to them. So I think it's, it's good to have experience from different sectors like that and, and cross over like that. A lot of risk managers that I meet start out sometimes in underwriting or brokerage, and then they gravitate to corporate risk management. And I always thought it'd be great to start out with a broker and do a, a stint while with the broker on site at the client location in the risk management department. I think some of those models exist. If we were to really kind of project out the world is changing, that the market is changing, that there's some interesting things going on. And, you know, with that evolution, I, I can see that there'll be more models like that. We're really in-house consultants anyway. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, whether you're working for the corporation or you're working for a third party that places you, I think we'll see a lot more of that going forward, this gig economy style. Right. A little crossing over, collaborating, because we all have to, I think, partner with each other. I agree. I think there's a lot to be learned from each side of that equation, a lot that comes together. Think about like the, from a RIM standpoint, right? This is a place that brings it brings all of those sides of the stool, as I say, together, right? Your brokers, your carriers, your risk managers, your consultants, 
It's a place where you can find resources and tools as well as just the way to collaborate and network. Yeah, you know, I've always found RIMS to be a great place to collaborate with people and get involved in new areas and just be aware of what's going on in the industry beyond just what's in your little world. Exactly. I've been in, been involved with the societies for, I'm not sure how many years, many, many years on different committees and things, always wanting to stay engaged as much as I could, and then got involved on the board and around 2014. And it's been extremely, really rewarding to feel like engaged in the society at that level and, you know, helping to steer the ship, so to speak, for the membership. Right. And you've got some great people on the board, too. Really have a great, great group, people working for some really interesting organizations that bring such a a wide variety and and perspective. I think we're continuing to grow it internationally with international members and diverse perspectives. I think that's so vital today is, you know, not having a team of people that all talk the same, look the same, think the same. Right. You need that. You need that diverse perspective and you need to be able to disagree and ultimately decide what's best for the organization. So, yeah, I think society right now seems to be at a pivotal moment, you know, on a number of levels. Right. I suspect that we've reached the point now where we're going to recognize how, you know, we're not all the same. We don't all think the same. We don't look the same. We don't have the same backgrounds, but yet we can all bring something to the table. And I see a big push now from a corporate standpoint to be much more inclusive, not just from a diversity standpoint, but from an overall um, thought process standpoint. Every search I work on now, it seems like I'm being challenged to find different types of candidates who bring something unique to the table. And it's funny because I always like to talk to my clients about when they're looking for people, do they put much thought into how someone can really fit in with the crowd, so to speak? Mm-hmm. And are they looking for like-minded kinds of people or are they looking for other types of people? And I make it very comfortable so that if somebody wanted to, to say something maybe that wasn't politically correct, it would come out. That would obviously tell me a lot you know, about that. I've been very pleasantly surprised that I haven't had that issue at all. And people are actually quite the opposite. And a number of my clients, I can think of specific situations where they really pushed me to really find people who bring something unique to the table. Oh, that's fantastic to hear. It is. I was really, really happy about that. And I love working on searches like that. Yeah. It used to be the fit, you know, will somebody fit in, which was just a euphor, you know, look the same, act the same, talk the same. All the organizations I've been with over the last few years have been all about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Inclusion is big, right? And it, it is, you know, not just the way someone looks. There's physical disabilities. There's, there's mental disabilities. There's all I mean, kinds of things. things. that aren't, you can't see. I applaud the different perspectives. And, and when hiring, I mean, that's important to me is, you know, not bringing somebody who's going to just think and, and act the same way that I do. Or... What I find challenging, though, is that, you know, in a large organization where you have a d- diverse employee base, Different people from different parts of the world look at things differently. And some people are more open-minded. Some people are more closed-minded. But they all work for the same company. And so it speaks to what efforts the company makes to try and break down the barriers and get people to be more accepting and and more open-minded. 
which is a very, very difficult challenge sometimes when you have some of these more mature industries. I agree. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the name of the book. I think it's called The Culture Map. Great book presented at a RIMS conference. But what she raised was that you can have a room full of people and certain cultures are naturally not going to speak up because that is the way their culture. Yes, I think, I think I remember, remember Do you that. remember that? Yeah, yes. excellent. If you haven't read the book, I highly recommend it. But it just uh, shed such a light on, you know, the different ways that people think and behave and, and having that understanding is critical when you're in group settings where you're expecting we in the, right in the US, New Jersey, for example, you know, we all speak up even when we shouldn't be speaking up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. New Yorkers, we, we talk, we say what we think, whether you've asked or not. And right. so understanding that other groups and cultures will not do that. And so how do you draw, draw them out? How do you make them feel comfortable to get their perspective? Really, really important, important life skills. I Absolutely. would recommend for anybody who's coming up in their career now. Yeah, I think that's a really important point you're making. That kind of ties into something I talk about every now and then is, you know, it's not always what you say, but how you say it. And on interviews, for example, I just had this conversation with a client yesterday. So on interviews, as a candidate, at some point in the process, you want to know about the salary, you want to know about the benefits, sometimes you want to know about the vacation and all of that. So the interesting thing is from a communication standpoint, when you're a candidate, If you start asking about vacation, it seems like a simple enough question, but what the other person is hearing is that you don't want to work. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So it gets twisted. My goodness. So here's here's the flip side. So if a hiring manager is asking a candidate, how flexible are you to work extra hours if needed? Well, the candidate here is, oh my God, this is going to be a heavy overtime job. I'm never <laughs> going to get to, I'm never going to get to go home. Absolutely. When that wasn't meant at all, it's just there's sometimes there's peaks in activity. Yes. And it's just so interesting how things can get misconstrued. Absolutely. Communication, uh, the communication skills are, are really so critical. And I think those questions are the ones that sort of come towards the tail end when you're really deciding whether it's the right person and the right job, right? Really derail where you're, where you're headed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you know, the other thing is like, and you're alluding to this also is at what point in the process can you ask these kinds of questions? If you're thinking about it at the, at the first interview, then maybe you haven't really thought through about this opportunity. Yes, could be a red flag for sure for the hiring manager. We're back with Pat O'Neill from Red Hand Advisors, continuing his story about his recent client engagement. After completing our needs analysis and system review, instead of recommending a new system, we proposed a plan to improve the usage of the existing system. Once we had agreement on the key priorities and desired results, we served as a liaison between the existing vendor, ensuring that both sides understood the goals and objectives and saw the project through to completion, saving the client significant time, aggravation, and money and thus avoiding going down the path of scrapping their current system and going through a lengthy implementation. To learn more about Red Hand, just visit our website at redhandadvisors.com forward slash key and be sure to download your free copy of the Remus Report. It's got a wealth of great information. As a, a senior leader in your organization and other organizations, so you've hired a few people, you've interviewed a few people, so you have some experience in this area. 
I hear from a lot of hiring managers how difficult it is to really know that the person you're interviewing is going to really work out. It really, really is. And I think, you know, some people will say I hire on grit or I hire on energy or just look at their technical skills and, you know, what what combination of those things, you know, makes the right candidate. And how do you avoid bias, right? Because, you know, oh, you went to the same university as I did, right? They got an extra five points, right? Whatever that connection that gets established, you know, even subconsciously, ends up being a bias towards a particular candidate for certain reasons, whatever it may be. So, you know, removing the bias is really, really hard. Another book, really, really great, Thinking Fast, Thinking Slow, highly recommend that for anybody in risk management, really anybody. Daniel Kahneman talks about an interview methodology that he developed, and I've used it, and I I do think it's really, really good. And what's behind it is essentially knowing the job that you're hiring for. You know, the resume talks about somebody's history but not necessarily what they can do for you go forward, right? But it does give you perspective on what they've achieved in the past if it's written the right way. Knowing what the job is, you should come up with five sort of core competencies that are required to be successful in the the job. This is what he recommends. He used it in the army. With those five, you then develop some set of questions, four or five questions. And the questions should be behavioral-based. Give me an example when you did X, right? and so you build all that out. And then you, when you establish your interview panel, everyone is asking the same questions. And so they can be repetitively delivered. And then the interview and the interviewers are scoring based on how those questions were answered. It is a way to, to take out some of the biases. And then you, you tabulate your score and see who came out the highest. And then you're supposed to allow your gut to come in. Because we often go on gut. And gut can lead to bias, hiring exactly what you, you know, someone who looks and acts just like you do. I don't think it's a conscious thing for a lot of people. I agree. It's it's just naturally what you're comfortable with. That's very interesting. So, you know, as a candidate now, let's say you're a rising risk professional and, you know, you aspire one day to be a chief risk officer. What are some of the things that you think someone should be working on from a skill set and a developmental standpoint if they want to one day be in, in your shoes? Yeah, I think there are a lot of things that you can do. RIMS has a professional growth model, which is a great tool to sort of see where you are today. And then there are recommendations to, you know, kind of get you to the next level. So I think that's a good place to, to start. There are um, designations and certifications RIMS has the RIMS CRMP, Certified Risk Management Professional. This is a great great certification. Certifications require continuing education, so different from a designation. So those things are great. I would be a voracious reader. For me, anytime something big goes wrong, Wells Fargo, GM, the Fukushima disaster, read what happened and read the analysis of what the underlying root cause of that is. Those are really, really good lessons learned that you can apply. History repeats itself. And so having that background is is really important. I think as a risk manager, business skills are really, really vital. I ended up getting my MBA versus the law school just because I I thought that would be more useful for me. But being able to talk the language of the business, when you're meeting with people and you start talking about risk management terminology, you lose your business people very, very quickly. And then you have no credibility and then you're going to be sitting behind your desk without a lot to do. So how do you, you know, relate to them in their business terms, talk about profit and loss, talk about 
the way things that impact uh, shareholder value, things that we need to do to make sure that we're meeting our objectives, our strategy. And as I said, you know, if you're going for an interview, read the 10K, figure out what this company does, make sure it's a company you want to work for and bring all that, you know, all that with you. So the business skills are critical. The influencing skills are really, really critical too. And those things can be learned, the ability to to build credibility and and to tell stories and understand if you look at people as sort of always your customer, what's their why? Always kind of delivering things, making sure that you're meeting, you understand that perspective. Those are all great items because they tie into a lot of things that come up a lot in my podcasts and, you know, other people, you know, have different spins on things. But, you know, one of the most important that I keep hearing about over and over is communication skills and speaking to your audience and, you know, really understanding what drives them and trying to speak in terms that they can relate to. Yes. And everyone always agrees that, you know, if you start speaking in insurance jargon, you're not going to get very far. You've lost them. And they glaze over and they're not really that interested, right? So how do you how do you make it they can relate to it so that it again if it gets to their why and it and it you know what you know the what's in it for me, if it gets to their what's in it for me, then you've got the hook. Thing I think, and maybe I can say this now at this point where I am in my career, but there's always this constant rush to get up to the senior most senior level. Oh, I want to be at, you know, I want to be at this highest VP level is. And you know, it was this career ladder. I'm gonna scale the ladder and I'm going to get up there no matter what it takes. And there's a lot that gets sacrificed along the way, but I think it's more of a matrix, right? And so sometimes you move up to go back. What's your motivation? Is it title? Is it money? Do you need to feel fulfilled in other ways? Really knowing yourself, I guess that would be one really important thing I would leave anybody who's, who's coming up in their career is really know yourself well, get to know yourself well, do self-assessment, spend some time understanding what makes you tick and what your needs are. And then that'll help you sort of chart your course. Yeah, no, that's great. That's great advice. Last question for you. So now you're at the chief risk officer level. So I presume that gives you C-suite visibility on a regular basis. So what is the key in your opinion to interacting effectively with the C-suite? Hopefully, when you're there or by the time it took for you to get there, you've got that credibility established. If you come in at a C-suite level, then you, you need to you need to build that pretty quickly. And so, you know, the trust being there when you're when they're looking for you, knowing that you they can rely on you, these are all critical things. So that's kind of baseline, really baseline importance. Having the resources, knowing the answers, those are all really, really important too. I've had in previous organizations that were a little more hierarchical, I realized pretty quickly that you needed to socialize what you were going to present with a number of people before you went and actually presented it at the board level, bringing people along, you know, and, and talking about, here's what I'm going to talk about, and getting their feedback and getting alignment. So socializing and aligning before you then deliver it can help you be successful. When you go in cold with something new, it can fall flat pretty, pretty quickly, you know, set yourself up for success and do some, do some homework before, know who you're presenting before, know what, you know, what their interests are, know how to deliver your message in such a way that you'll get their buy-in and, and, and appeal from them. So I think those are important. I think for me, being that reliable 
always good on strategy, always good on problem solving, gives you that reputation that makes you always have a seat at the table. That's great. That's also very consistent with what I keep hearing. So glad to hear that. I feel like this has been a very insightful conversation, you know, for people at different levels, which is what I, I try to do when I talk to people like yourself, because you've had some really interesting experience. And, you know, the thing we didn't really touch on, by the way, was how you really crossed industries from healthcare to, Factoring. you know, all around. Yes, yes. I like change. So that, you know, again, knowing yourself is really, really critical. Some people stay the track of one one industry and that is perfect and they do really, really well in it. I like to challenge myself. So there's the easy path and the hard one. I'm always choosing the hard. And then I kick myself and say, why did I do that? But ultimately I, I end up happier at the end. So I guess I think early on, I was always concerned about being sort of pigeonholed. And so I thought, oh, I've got to diversify myself. But it's part of my, just my human nature to, you know, want to take on new challenges and and learn something new. It's the continuous growth mindset, always learning, always pushing, always challenging. And I think it fits a risk management mindset, frankly, because you're always looking to expand your horizon, understand more about the business. And so whether it's the healthcare business or the manufacturing business or the academic world, which, you know, your world, you know, it's not fair to call Penn State just an academic institution, because as you pointed out, you have the hotels, you have the healthcare. Um, the reactor. Yeah, we've got some interesting things. Right. And the whole student abroad program is a whole other set of risks. Absolutely. 100,000 uh, football stadium. And yes, it's a lot, right. it's a lot of diverse uh, things going on there. Um, and then you have all these people running around saying we are all the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Well, this has been great. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jennifer. It's great talking with you. Thank you for listening to Should I Stay or Should I Go? Brought to you by Key Strategies, LLC, the US insurance and risk management recruitment specialists. If you like the show, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Every time you do, it helps others find the show. And if you have any specific career-related questions, please post them or send an email directly to Mike at mtenenbaum at keystrategies.com. He may even answer your question on the show. When you subscribe, you'll also get notifications of when the next episode is available. Hope you join us next time.